Amen. Good morning. And you know, uh, I have to give this plug in. I know the Shides will appreciate this. Go Cubs. Brian Kirshner. Go Cubs. <laughs> I am a third generation Cub fan. My uh, mom loved them and my grandfather loved them. So, of course, I have to love them. And uh, I told this story this morning. My grandfather would come to our house every Sunday morning, and I mean every uh, Sunday after church, for dinner, and he would um, pray. And when the Cubs game, when there was a Cubs game, our TV would be on in the distance. So he would be in the middle of his prayer, and he's a cold food prayer like me, meaning he prays a long time. <laughs> so your, cold, your food was getting cold. But one uh, particular Sunday, something, uh, Harry Carey was saying something on the television. And my, my grandfather was like really praying for the food, you know, getting people saved and all that stuff. And then all of a sudden, something happened. Harry Carey yelled something. And my, my grandfather just stopped in the middle of the prayer to listen I mean, so just goes to show you how important the Cubs are to the, to the Shannon family. That's my mother's maiden name. Anyways, that was just a side. I, I knew you all would enjoy the current events of the Cubs and the Indians. Well, I'm here to, to talk about something very exciting that's happening in the midst of our church. And I really believe my message today is really to remind us just how exciting and how um, powerful this is what's happening. You know, as many, hopefully everybody knows this, that we are in a capital campaign, and the theme of that capital campaign is entitled Regeneration. I mean, that is a powerful, powerful word, and it's a powerful process that God is doing in the life of this church. And when many people think of capital campaign before you all go to sleep, this isn't about, you know, it is a little bit about raising money uh, in order to accomplish something. But I really believe God is using the raising of money to perform something greater in the life of the church. And in particular, in the life of this church. And so uh, going along with that, you know, I was in prayer about our whole capital campaign and, and in prayer about what I was going to be speaking on. And these questions came up while I was in prayer. And I was, and I'm going to ask you these questions because I asked Pastor Drew these questions. And so I'm going to ask you, how many of you really, really believe that God has everything? Meaning God owns a cattle on a thousand hills, that God has all resources. I want you to raise your hands if you really, really believe that. So, so as the scripture says, the gold is mine, the silver is mine, you know, and he says the cattle on a thousand hills are mine. So we all believe that God owns it all, right? He owns all resources. All, we, you know, we have faith in paper currency. I mean, God owns it all. And so the other question that, that, that came to mind is, 
Do we believe that God wants to use our body here, wants to use College Hill Presbyterian Church to advance the kingdom? Does he want to use us to be a body that, that is relevant, that's current, but also that are disciples that are making disciples? So if you really believe that, if you believe in our vision, if you believe that that's where God has taken us, that we can be able to speak uh, God's grace and God's mercy and illustrate that to our community and the rest of the world, I want you to raise your hands on that. Okay, unity is power, right? So as I was praying and I know those facts, I, I, I asked God, and see, and I've seen a lot of miracles in my life, financial miracles. So I was asking God, God, since you, know, since you own a cat on a thousand hill, you own it all. And God, since you are in alignment with the vision, uh, God, I really believe that you're the one that's leading us in this vision. Why don't you just give us $2.2 million? You know, why, you know, I've seen it happen. I've seen and, and even read about where, you know, folks would just come up and, and say, Pastor, you know, the Lord just laid on my heart to bless this church, and I want to give this church a million dollars. You know, or, you know, just, it, it could miraculously happen in that way. I've seen it. And so I was like, God, why... Why, you know, why, since you own it and since this is your church and your vision, you want to accomplish it, why three years? Well, I believe the Lord answered it partly last night when Sharon and I were watching television. And the show that we were watching was highlighting a woman that worked at Walmart. And she had four children. She was a single mom. And she, and this is a true story, she won hundred and eighty eight million dollars in the lottery this is a true story I just saw it last night it was in South Carolina when it, you know where it happened and so they were highlighting this woman's life because this woman was miserable so this woman uh, one thing she had a fiance who was no good and she had bailed this guy out three times and it cost 21 million dollars and what was so interesting, when they were filming this special segment, he was going to be going to jail and, and federal prison 10 or 11 days after that. So, so this woman spent $21 million on this guy who had issues with drugs and dealing drugs and all that. Okay, so she spent $21 million on that. You know, she had bought all these nice things. She had bought beautiful homes. Uh, you know, they showed her home. You know, she had SUVs. She had ATVs. She had mini bikes. You know, every, every young person's dream, every grown man's young person's dream. She had, <laughs> she had it. But one thing that they were pointing out is that, like, the ATVs were, like, hadn't been washed off. You know, they weren't being kept up. The mini bikes and all these, the cars and all of it were just, you know, they weren't being taken care of. The other thing I had mentioned, you know, she had four children, so she bought her mom a house in Seattle. She lives in South Carolina, and she shipped her children to her mom, and so she was taking care. I mean, the, the, the grandmother was taking care of the children, and so she was, like, living 
with this boyfriend whom she had bailed out, had spent $21 million. So here you would think that someone that won $188 million, that they would be able to do a lot of things that would enable themselves, help themselves, help others, and they would be extremely happy, right? She was miserable. She was depressed. She had, matter of fact, she was on her way of being broke. How can you, like, you know, of course with taxes, but $188 million, yet when it, did, it brought so much, she had a horrible relationship with her mom. I mean, it just brought so much unhappiness. When the Lord showed me that in the same way, if your insides don't match the outside, disaster can happen. Maybe a lot of innocent people might get hurt, or maybe we might get hurt. God was showing me that this three years, yeah, he could take care of it in one day, but this three years is actually for us. There's a process that God wants to happen here at College Hill Presbyterian Church. And this process is about our capacity to love those who don't look like us. It's also a, a, a capacity to trust. Because he wants us to celebrate once that 2.2 million has been achieved. But the celebration can't be based on that we had great marketing or, or so many people were given and we did this just right. He wants us to celebrate because it was based because we trusted and depended upon him. See, some of us might think when we first get something as a gift like that, we wouldn't really, you know, we give God thanks and have a little hallelujah party for five minutes, but I think we would forget that it would come from God. And we would probably give that individual a plaque. <laughs> or a whole room. Oh, I'm preaching. A whole room. Oh, a stained glass. Yeah, not to say that was, you know, that was okay, I guess. But I, I hope you see where I'm getting at, that God, this is a process for us. And this is a glorious process for us. This is a gift. This is a gift. This whole stewardship regeneration, this capital campaign, as God was speaking to me, this is a gift to us that he wants to do something special in us. He wants to do some inner changes in us. He wants to what? Regenerate us. See, because the world has changed and it's changing. The world is in chaos. And, you know, we have to be able to speak in tongues like they did in the Acts 2. You know, Pastor Drew uses this a lot. That in Acts 2 and Pentecost, when the church, the Holy Spirit came... They were given the enablement to speak 
different tongues so that others in the community could hear the gospel in their language. So God, I believe, is in this process of giving us the gift of tongues so that we might speak the language of the millennial, of the inner city person, of the middle class person, of the person that's so afraid of fear and, 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 and so afraid of what's going on in the world and in their society. I believe God is working on us a new language. Oh, come on, somebody. I know we like to glory in the days gone by, but I believe there's a glory happening right now. Because the Bible says where God's presence is, His glory is. And so we got to live in the glory in the now. And I'm happy and excited about it because I like to change when it's God. Because God is in this. He is leading his church to have the voice to speak to the nations. And that's what I believe this three years is all about. It's all about our prayer life, our intimacy with God, that we are recognizing that God is the one that's leading us, God is the one that's going with us, and that God is the one that's already prepared for us what he will have us to do. But are we ready? And that's the joy of a process of a journey with God. That was the joy that, and I call joy in the big words because joy included in joy is pain. It was the joy of the Israelites going from slavery to the promised land. What ordinarily should have taken them eight days, it took them 40 years because God had to do a process in the heart. God had to prepare their hearts, not a slave mentality, but a dependence upon him. Possibly God could be doing that with us. That when that celebration comes and the tambourines come, it will be about not so much that we have big givers in this church, but that we have faithful and unified people who have been changed and who have been given the gift of tongues. That we might speak to our generation with the saving gospel of Jesus Christ. I'm excited. See, this isn't the time that we need to, oh, money. No, this is about a heart change. Because fortunately or unfortunately, as we all know in Scripture, it speaks more about money than anything else. Because the Lord knows where our heart is, our treasure lies also. And God knows if he has your pocketbook, he has you. I heard this preacher say this. This is when we were writing checks. This preacher said, he said, if you really want to know where your heart is, go look at your ledger and your checkbook to see what you spend your money on. And that's where you'll find your treasure. Ouch. (laughs) Can you guess what mine is? I got four kids. (laughs) But I believe there's some truth to that. We will emphasize and spend on and, well, anyways, that's, I believe, why God uses us to raise funds to accomplish his work in us. If you would go ahead, I want to spend a little bit of time on this word regeneration, 
Because I believe it's powerful. I believe it's in the sovereignty of God. This just isn't a cute title, a cute phrase that I think, uh, I don't know how it was come up with. Uh, but I do believe God in his sovereignty, God in his foreknowledge, gave us this word because it represents what he's doing. Regeneration means a new birth. Regeneration means that it is being come alive again. And that is, I believe, is what is happening. Uh, the entomology is the study of the root of words. And, and I really like to get to, to do word studies. And so the root word of regeneration is gen or genus, which can be in the Latin or in the Greek. But it's something produced, this modern use, a thing that produces or causes. From the Greek word genes, genus uh, means born of, produced by, uh, related to. I mean, so, any, so you get the picture. It's about life. It's about, 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 about newness and, 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 and growth and, and, and the beauty of biology and life. I mean, that's where this regeneration, uh, this word comes from. And, and this is the word God has given us for this season. Can you go to the next? And so examples of this word is Genesis. You see that word gene in the beginning, you know, about life creation. You see uh, the genetic nature of God. In humanity, we were gened. You know, we were made in the image of God. You know, and, and God's ingenuity, his creativity, he designed man. All of this is life-giving. Uh, God is generous. How many know that God is generous? I mean, you're sitting here because of the generosity of God. I mean, you can talk about God's mercy, and we would be here for an entire existence. Just talking about God's mercy. I mean, that's how generous. And we had, you know, hadn't even got to God's grace. So God is a generous God. And just think, if we are gened in the DNA of God, that means we will have generosity. Right? We have the DNA of God, so that means we will have the character of God. And the character of God is ingenuity, generosity, generative genuine, pure, true, right? But when we look at sin, it's congenital. Again, that root word. Congenital means born with, a defect. And we are degenerate. But praise God for God's love. It's regenerative from generation to generation. And isn't that what this is all about? Isn't this what this is all about? This isn't only about us getting, you know, a nice, you know, updated building and nice flat screens and all. This is about generations. This is about the gene of God, the DNA of God being reproduced in the world. What a privilege. What a pleasure. We should get excited that we were chosen for this. Do you get it? We were chosen for this. We didn't choose to do it. God chose us for this. Oh, we don't get it. <laughs> because do you know what a gift it is to be chosen? To be the generation that, that gives forth the gene of God? New life, new birth. 
We're the ones that have the answer to racism. We're the ones that has the answer to sexism. We're the ones that has the answer to all the wars and all the plight and all the poverty. We have justice, which is a gene of God. We have righteousness. What a privilege and opportunity that we were chosen to speak a new language that we might give the gene of God to the world. The generosity of God. This text for today is in John 15, verses 1 through 8. If you have your Bibles, turn to that. It's in the New Testament. But it's a beautiful text, I believe, that really undergirds what our process and how we have to so give God the praise and acknowledge God in this process. That is so much more than than, than, than the outer, so much more than money, but it's about our regeneration. It's about our expansion. Okay, John 15, 1 through 8. I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. This is Jesus. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing, College Hill Presbyterian Church. It will be fleshy, but it won't be of the Spirit. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. But if you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. This is for my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. I believe this is a great undergirding of what the process that we're going through. And the first principle that I want, there's eight principles I want to share really quickly. Uh, the first principle is this. It is the authority of God. We must recognize who is the one that is leading us on this campaign. Who is the one that gave us this word? Who is the one that wants to expand our horizons, expand our capacity? It is God himself. Jesus in this text, he says, I am the true vine. When Jesus says, I am, in the Greek, it's an authoritative I am. There's seven I am statements in the Gospel of John. And it's Jesus equating himself to divinity. Jesus is saying, just like when Moses went to God and he said, who shall send me? And Moses said, I am sent me. But Jesus here is saying, I am. I am. That's the authority of Jesus as he's talking to his disciples. I am the true vine. Now his disciples would have heard vine and all in the Bible in the Old Testament, vine was representation of Israel. And Israel was often disobedient to God. Here Jesus is making the statement, first, I am God. And next, you've heard it before. You've had your identity with other things, but now your identity is with me. I am the true vine. I am the pure vine. I am the only vine of which you are to be connected. What a joy, church, that as we go on this three-year 
uh, ambition of, of really being expanded by God, we go in his authority and we go knowing who we are in him. Because the next is identity. I am the vine, true vine. My father is the gardener. You are the branches. The only life and purpose that we have and what we're doing here in this campaign is because of our connection with God. Because of the connection of what he wants to do on the earth. Our identity. When you come to that place and you ask yourself, why are we doing this? Well, we're doing it because of who we are. We are just a branch. We're being obedient. We're just being part of what God's plan for is in the earth. Do you know what a great thrill and pleasure it is that I can do things more good, not on purpose than I can on purpose because I'm connected to the vine? I don't know if you heard what I just said. I can do more good in my ignorance than can do on my own on purpose, just by being connected to the vine. Because it's not about my striving. It's not about my doing. It's about me producing the fruit which comes from the vine. Doesn't that take the pressure off? Even in this campaign, that if God called us, he's the authority, he's leading us, all we have to do is be obedient and the fruit will come. We will be transformed and lives will be changed. Adversity, this is a good one. As I prayed before when I talked about joy, we can expect adversity. This isn't going to be an easy journey. It's not easy raising $2.2 million when you only make a certain amount of money or when someone else may not even have a job because we're a, a, a beautiful uh, together um, conglomerate of people of God. And, and, and so the Lord is saying, expect the adversity, but have a perspective in it. What happens to you when you get in a car accident? Could it possibly be that God is in control? That he knows beforehand the things that come before and the things that come after? And so when we're in the perspective that God has it in his hands, not that he causes it, but that he's in control of it, doesn't that give us perspective when times when we're not on schedule, when we're trying to raise this amount of money in this amount of time, and we say, oh, how can we ever do it? But we have to remember that God says, I am in control. Adversity will come. And matter of fact, I allowed that so that you would depend more on me. How many of you know that oftentimes trouble will come our way because that's the only time we'll pray? Oh, say amen, lights. You know it's true. All of us got Israel in us. When God is doing, you know, we're doing great, we forget about God. God allows catastrophe to come, a sickness or something, then we're going to pray. Oh, it's the truth anyhow. We know it. You let one of your children... No, no, no. You let one of your children get into some real trouble and your money can't get them out. Come on. They'll become a guttural prayer. See, God loves it when we cry out to him because it's showing our dependency on him. So he allows adversity so that our dependence will grow deep. 
intimacy. This goes along with the prayer. We intentionally cultivate our intimacy relationship with Christ. Jesus said to his disciples, remain in me. It was an imperative. That remain, it means to dwell. Jesus wants them to to remember the things he taught them by reading the word. He wants them to pray and be in communion with him. And that word is hupomone. That word in the Greek, remain, is in the imperative uh, case. So Jesus is commanding us, remain in me. That's the only way this is going to work. You've got to pray. That's the only way this is going to work. You've got to be intimate with, with me. That's the only way this campaign is going to work. And he says, the, 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 the word is hupomone, which means to stand under pressure. So when the pressure comes, when the weakness comes, God wants us to remain in him. When tough times happen, pray. When we don't have enough, pray. When it seems like we're going to make it, pray. Jesus says, he says, when I get crucified, when, I, when, 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 when they put the nails in my hand, I know you're going to scatter. But he says, remain in me. Be strong in me. Stand under in me. Yes, adversity is going to happen, College Hill. But God wants us to remain and stand in the midst because he has the authority. It's all about our identity. It's all about what he's going to do. The next is longevity, which is related to that word. We must commit ourselves to stay the course. It's about commitment. God uses his grace and he extends his spirit. But we must allow and commit ourselves to the work. This isn't a, uh, a sprint. This is the marathon of ourselves being changed for his glory. Productivity, we can expect the increase. I'm telling you, God is going to increase. I believe in his word. We believe in his word. When we do what he says, expect the fruit. He said, when you abide in me, there will be much fruit. Yes, there will be pruning. Yes, you might have to get rid of some stuff. I remember Drew talked about they made that commitment for the pledge. That's the pruning. You may have to get rid of some stuff. The Holy Spirit will allow you to get rid of it. But sometimes, church, God will allow it to be taken from you so that you might depend upon him to receive the miracle that he has for you. I know we may not know what I'm talking about, but when you walk with him, there's a productivity that you may not be able to explain because you walk with God. See, the world is looking, the millennial is looking not for a great theology. Yes, we all believe in orthodoxy. We all believe in the authoritative word of God. But this generation is looking for miracles. This generation is looking for a people that walk out their faith. They're looking for a Jesus that can, that can matter in Black Lives Matter. Oh, come on. <laughs> this is a generation where you just can't say, I'm going to pray about it. No, no, no. They need to see your life reflecting the glory of God. I'm telling you, God's getting us ready. See, we used to be able to do the Josh McDowell apologetic. And, you know, we used to be able to argue and convince and, and we get, you know, and we would win and, you know, because we can do our proofs. No, no, no. The proof now is in you. <laughs> yeah, the proof is in you. Are you walking out what Jesus said when, when loving your enemies, like loving Donald Trump or loving Hillary Clinton? Hey! Come on. Come on, come on. 
progeny. Inspect. Progeny is the next generation. The fruit must align with and look like the source. Church, we have to be discerning because I know the enemy. The enemy will come in and bring counterfeits. So we'll may, we may think it's good because, you know, because it's, it's shiny and bright and sounds good, but we must, the progeny is going to look like God. It's going to have humility. It's going to have grace. It's going to have long suffering. It's going to incorporate all people of different colors and races. And that's going, the progeny has to look like the vine. If it starts looking like you, something wrong. I don't want a church that looks like you. I want a church that looks like Jesus. Don't we? You may want to be in a church that looks like you. I want a church that reflects the glory of God. That reflects who he is and all of his splendor and character and his rainbow of glory. That's the church that he wants to expand us in. His progeny. Not like us. Like him. And then lastly, his sovereignty. All this is for his glory. We're not doing this that College Hill will be a light on the hill unto itself. We're not doing this that we might look great, that we might say, oh, we're hip and we're with it and we can talk to the millennials and we can be multicultural. No, we're doing this because of his glory. God is glorified when his church bears fruit. When his church are so in prayer and so abiding in him that we display the glorious fruit for the nations to eat. There's many divorces. There's, there's, there's many people living in lifestyles that need to taste the fruit of God's mercy. Not judgment, mercy. There's so many out in our neighborhoods who are growing up without fathers and without daddies and whose hearts are spoiled and rotten and they need the grace of long-suffering. <laughs> Just like God is working on us in three years, he needs to work on others in spans of time. But we want them changed just because they say the sinner's prayer. This is for the sovereignty of God, his glory. May we take on the challenge with excitement. May we walk in his authority. Know who we, were, who we are in our identity for his glory. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you, God, that you chose us, a motley crew. You chose us. You gave us a vision to reach people, your most prized possession, with your gospel, to make disciples. Lord, you choose us to make an influence in our community, in our city. Lord, you choose us to make an impact overseas. Lord, as we use 5% of our funds to plant churches. Lord, how crazy it would be if you called us to plant a church among the Syrians. Lord, how crazy it would be, God, if you chose us to plant a church among ISIS. Oh, God, how crazy it would be that if that, some of that 5%, Lord, 
went to go and a terrorist got saved. Thank you for choosing us. Thank you for the other 5% of planting churches here. People that we couldn't reach, but another church, a new church can reach. Because they've been gifted with the language. Thank you, God. Thank you, Lord. We, we take all that you have for us. Expand us. Grow us. Lord, that we might share your glory. Father, we lift up those that are sick and shut in. We, we lift those that are in the hospital. Father, we, we lift up those who are even in these pews who, are, who carried with them the, 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 the weight of the world, God, the, the burden of life, the burden of families. God, you are the burden lifter. In the name of Jesus, God, bring healing and restoration. Lord, give us new eyesight to see, oh God. Give those that are sick, God. Let them come out of themselves and pray for others, God. Lord, use, oh God, your people. Empower us for your glory. That your name would be famous. Call us to prayer. Call us to intimacy. That we might see the splendor and the glory of you. In Jesus' name, amen. At this time, I want to call up a special uh, testimony. Rob is going to come and share. And this, again, is evident that God is in our midst. God and his glory is here, and he's doing something powerful in the life of College Hill Presbyterian Church. He is the God of yesterday, yesterday, today, and forever. And so we need to recognize what he's doing in the now and celebrate his goodness. Bless you, Rob. Well, good morning. I'll try to keep this quick. So about a year ago, an event happened to me here at College Hill that I shared at that time with um, Drew and tried to share with Session. Um, I was able to share this morning with the first service, so hopefully I'll make it through the second service. Um, let me start off with a, uh, a verse here from Ephesians 3. 8 through 10. This is from the message. And so I'm here preaching and writing about things that are way over my head. The inexhaustible riches and generosity of Christ. My task is to bring out in the open and make plain what God who created us in this first place has been doing in secret and behind the scenes all along. Through the followers of Jesus, like gathered in churches, this extraordinary plan of God is becoming known and talked about even among the angels. So about a year ago, it was out in December, this was at the end of my three-year term on session. Um, I had been part of FFAT, which is the Facilities and Finance Group, and, and you get to learn during those times kind of all the cracks and the problems and the issues and the financial uh, things that are going on in the church. And this was going to be the last month of, of being on session, and I was, we were here on a communion Sunday, and I was up praying. And um, so we were, as I was, uh, Drew was speaking that day, and, and he was uh, speaking on uh, the fear of God, and from that passage, Luke 1, 67 through 90, 
7, God has a plan of salvation through Jesus, a plan to be rescued from our fears that we can serve him without fear. So I've been up praying. I was over here, and um, a number of people had come up to me and, and asked for prayer. And, and I'll tell you, when, when we're honored as um, elders of the church to pray with you, it's a time of often joy, but it's a t- often a time of great sadness, a, a time of great emotion. But it's, it's, uh, it's always a time, usually for me, when I'm overwhelmed. But this day, was I was particularly overwhelmed. So I've been praying, and, and a person came up to me and asked me to, to c- come over to the far side over there, um, and there, was a, there were two people that were asking for prayer that couldn't stand up. And, um, and I've asked to use these people's names, so they're aware of it. And, and it was Holly and Tress Dixon. Um, for those of you that don't know, Holly and, and, and uh, Brian are parents of three wonderful girls. Um, Brad wasn't there that weekend, but Holly was there, and she was asking for a prayer of thanksgiving. And the thanksgiving was that she had been trying to work with Tress to um, stay in the service and stay kind of quiet through the service. Tress can get a little bit of vocal every once in a while. But it was a great thing, and she had made it through for the last couple times, services. And so she asked me to pray that prayer of thanksgiving. And so... um, I did, and, and I was very honored to do that. And, I, and because of where they were, I actually got down and I kneeled. And I know, we normally don't kneel when we pray here. And I had gotten down and kneeled, and um, I put a hand on, um, on Holly. But knowing Tress as I do, Tress is not one that uh, physical contact is always a good thing. So I anointed Holly, and I decided I wasn't going to anoint Tress. But I left my oil cup in my hand, and I lifted my hand up to God as I was praying, and I closed my eyes and I started praying. And shortly into the prayer, I noticed somebody um, suck their finger in the oil cup, and of course I knew it was Tress, and Tress anointed me. And my first thought was to say, no, Tress, don't do that, or close my hand up at the very least. But I was compelled not to do that that day. And, and so as I continued praying, I left it where it was, and as I, uh, again, Tress anointed me again. And this time when she anointed me, I noticed something in my mind's vision. My eyes were closed, but I noticed what looked like a person standing next to us. Continuing in my prayer, Tress anointed me again in another place on my face, and this time I noticed even more people standing around us. And I continued praying, um, and finally Tress anointed me the, the third time, and when she anointed me that time, I noticed just a m- multitude of people standing on my sides, above me, just all around me in my, in my mind's vision. And, and then it was then, and actually it wasn't then, it was more later on after I was thought about it, is that I realized that this was God's angels, God's people around us, and and it was, it was very, very compelling for me to see all that and, and to, to be present to see that. And, and after it happened, I was somewhat, somehow able to go ahead and finish the communion service and present the elements. And then I sat down and I started kind of thinking about what had happened to me in, in church. And I sat there for a while in the sanctuary. Um, I didn't even tell Robin about it, my wife, because it was just so overwhelming um, Later on that day, I think, or the next day, I sent an email to Drew, and he asked for me to share it with to Session, and I tried to share it that week with Session. I couldn't speak about it, um, but 
over the months and uh, that it's been now, I've able to do it. So there were three things that kind of came to me in the last year as I've prayed about it and thought about it and wanted to finish sharing with you. Is the first thing is that um, God's angels are all around us and God's angels are here. Um, the other thing that came to me was that God can use anyone to bless us. And the final thing was in blessing us, if we let it be known, then we can be a blessing to others. So let me just finish with this final scripture. This is from Haggai chapter uh, 2, verse 9. This temple is going to end up far better than it started out. A glorious beginning, but an even more glorious finish. A place in which I will hand out wholeness and holiness. Decree of the God's angel armies. Thank you.